Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights into the very broad array of topics in this rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders that are in the ResNet ecosystem. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for 30 years and been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. Today, we're going to talk about HVAC systems, something near and dear to my heart. So HVAC systems usually consume a large chunk of the energy in any home. Now, it follows that optimizing HVAC systems can lead to lower home energy consumption and hence a lower HERS score or a better HERS rating. But right now, how are these points rewarded for a better quality HVAC design and installation? Is there a better way than just looking at the nameplate information and capturing that data? Today, we're going to speak with Wes Davis of ACCA, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, and Dean Gamble, who works with the EPA Energy Star Homes Program. They're going to discuss this standard called ANSI ResNet 301, which is being created, and all the lessons they've learned along the way that resulted in development of the standard. I've seen a draft of the standards, 87 pages long. However, don't be too afraid. A lot of it is terminology, terminology and definitions, which is very important. We want to make sure that all the concepts get across very clearly to the target audience. So this major goal here is to significantly reunify the process of doing a HERS rating and earning the Energy Star. So we're going to discuss timeline, expected implementation, the status of development, and we'll give a heads up to the raters maybe needing a few more tools and training to do this extension of their work. Yet the committees are working very hard in the standard to maximize flexibility of execution. And you're going to hear about a new test, a new non-invasive systems test for HVAC systems. So listen up as we speak with Wes and Dean about the topic of the upcoming standard called ANSI ResNet 301. Good morning, Wes. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing, Bill? Good. Uh, Wes, give us some background, and we'll let Dean do that in a second, but give us some background on where you're coming from, what are you doing now, and a little bit about your background. I was uh, an HVAC contractor for a number of years and had an opportunity to go work for ACCA, and I did that. I've been here for the last 12 or so years, worked in standards, codes development, and some other things, and then most recently, I was allowed to work on our contractor accreditation effort, and that's where I've worked closely with Dean and worked on the development of this standard. Very good. Dean, give us an overview on your background and why you're speaking on this topic today. So my background is actually um, in architectural engineering from Penn State. So there might be some other listeners on the phone that went through that program. And that was geared towards a commercial building. So I took this weird tangent when I graduated into residential buildings, which was sort of unheard of. And I uh, was able to support utility programs and the Energy Star program through ICF, where I worked a number of years. And then in 2011, came over to EPA and have been the technical manager for the Energy Star Homes program since then. I think sometimes we're so familiar with the work we do and the roles that we have uh, that others listening might not know. Could you dig a little bit, Dean, into what ICF is and what they do specifically for the industries related to ResNet? 
Sure, they do some support for utility programs. So utilities that are being mandated to conserve energy by a utility commission, for example, will be implementing energy efficiency programs. And ICF is a company that will help support implement those programs for utilities. So I was doing a little bit of design around that to identify energy efficiency measures that are cost effective and can save significant amounts of energy in the marketplace. And they also do support for federal contracts like the Energy Star Homes Program. So working with partners and with the team at EPA on developing policy that is effective for the partners and for the goals of the program. That's a pretty significant role and it kind of helps sort of wrap around in the puzzle pieces here. Wes, tell us a little bit about ACCA. Tell us what that acronym means for starters. Absolutely. Air Conditioning Contractors of America. And we are a trade association for heating, cooling, ventilating, air conditioning contractors. We've been around since the late 60s, and we represent contractors on Capitol Hill, as well as developing tools that they need to grow their business and increase and improve their technical competency. Very good. Hey, Bill, do you mind if I add a little short description of EPA? Because that's where I am now, and I think I don't want people to get confused about me working at ICF or EPA at the moment. Sure. Why don't you clarify that? Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that EPA is the home of the Energy Star Certified Homes Program. And so that's been around since the mid-90s. We've certified over 2 million homes to date in the program. And it's a voluntary program that has been closely linked to ResNet since its inception. And it really was one of the first market uses of HERS ratings back in the 90s. And so we've had a long relationship with ResNet, working closely with them to both improve the HERS standards and to promote the HERS standards through Energy Star Certification of Homes. Very good. We're going to talk today about quality design and installation, how it relates to HERS points. So there's a standard that's been created. Wes, why don't you tell us about that standard? And from your perspective, where did that get started? We believe that high efficiency is more than just a number on the side of a box from a piece of equipment that's being installed. We believe that there's a lot of engineering, a lot of work that goes into not just crafting that unit, but also in its installation. And so understanding what size unit you need for a house. And then after you determine that, and if it's a forced air system, the duct sizing, after those aspects are determined and installed, is it working as designed? Is it moving the right amount of air? Is the right temperature difference across the coil for your region or as per the design even? And so the installed aspects of a system greatly impact how well it operates, how efficient it is. And so we see all too often that contractors do a great job. They take the time necessary to investigate and survey the home or do the correct takeoff on a house to ensure that the load is well represented and the equipment can meet that load. And then they design the duct system and install it and it works great. But there are some contractors, I know it's hard to believe, but there are a few out there that don't do that. But in the HERS rating, there's no way to really differentiate between the guys who do it well, the contractors who do it well, it could be guys or girls, but the good ones and the bad ones. And so we crafted a continuous maintenance proposal, which was actually intended for standard 301. And we wanted to see good contractors do quality installation. And there's a slight difference. I believe that there may be some less than good contractors out there, but if they're technically competent and they're doing their job right, they should get credit for that quality installation for meeting the elements in the QI standard. ACA developed, ACC developed that standard and built some parameters, some metrics that can 
be easily followed and met to determine if the equipment is installed correctly. And so the continuous maintenance proposal was submitted, ResNet adopted that, and it sort of morphed into this new standard 310 that we've been working on. That's it from our perspective. Okay. So the 310, is that's an actually, is it a joint standard? Is it an ANSI standard? Where does it kind of sit in that spectrum? The answer to all three or both questions is yes, it is an ANSI intended standard. And it started out as just something that ACCA proposed to ResNet. But during the development process, we saw that we might be able to do a little bit more. And so we signed an MOU with ResNet and it will be a joint standard. So, Dean, give us your perspective on that, and especially anything to do, either one of you, with the dates of evolution. When did this get started? What kind of triggered this? How long do we have? (laughs) So I can go back to 2011, actually, is when Energy Star started tackling HVAC design and installation in earnest. So anyone that's been involved with the Energy Star Certified Homes Program doing PERS ratings for that program knows this very well. And we have learned a lot since 2011, some good things and some not so good things. So some of the good things is that this definitely deserves a lot of attention. So for the first 20 years of our program and in HERS ratings, this was the installation quality was basically ignored, as Wes was saying. And we felt that shining a spotlight on this was a worthy use of our resources. And we feel even more strongly about that now than we did in 2011. We also learned that our stakeholders, so raters, builders, and HVAC professionals all benefit from understanding and communicating about this. That wasn't something they were really doing prior to us starting to talk about it within the Energy Star program. And we learned that requirements that could be easily verified by raters were showing improvement. And that's not a surprise. You think about things like duct leakage testing. That has been a really helpful feedback process to ensure tighter ducts in homes. And we had a few requirements in our program requirements from 2011 that were also quantitative, and that resulted in some improvement. So those were all good things. On the other hand, we found that the industry as a whole was having some challenges doing proper design and installation on a day-to-day basis. So it was a bigger lift than I think we even anticipated to bring people up to the same standard. And maybe most importantly, and this kind of leads to the development of standard 310, the lack of uniform and practical standards for raters led to inconsistencies between contractors and those raters. And so that led us to kind of piggyback off of ACA's suggestion to ResNet to look into this and develop a new standard that would not only give raters those practical uniform standards, but also result in HERS and ERI index credit when a properly installed HVAC system was verified by Raider in the field. Where does this stand? Is it in use, still in development, waiting for approval? Yeah. So we convened a work group in the summer of 2016. Wes is on that and many other esteemed colleagues in the HVAC industry and the rating industry. And we have a working draft that I would say is nearly final. SDC 300 is required to review and sign off on that before it goes out to public comment. The same is true of ACA. So in late December of 2018, ACA and SDC 300 took a look at the latest draft, provided some feedback, and now we're currently working on processing that feedback to create what will hopefully be a final working draft that goes out for public comment later this spring. So it's not done yet, but it is getting closer. Again, that's where we're talking about it. Is there room to sort of contribute, understand, reflect on, give feedback? Is there any mechanism in place yet, or does that happen at a later point? We have taken continuous feedback from our working group, which has close to 18 people on it. So that's good. That helps us keep us on the right track. 
We also have gotten informal feedback from our Energy Star partners that we've kept in the loop as we've been developing this. We even had an informal field test last fall where we just gave a draft standard to a handful of providers and said, we don't have a lot of training, but we'll give you this slide deck to walk you through it and go out and kick the tires. Let us know what you find and come back and see if we're on the right track. We got pretty encouraging results from that. But most importantly, in terms of formal feedback, this public comment process that will come up next is going to give an opportunity for everyone to read it from beginning to end, submit their comments, and we'll be addressing those as part of the working group, along with Wes and the other working group members. Is there anything like this that exists anywhere else? Is this something very unique? Or is there any other standard like this? So my perspective on this is that there's nothing that exists specifically for raters. And that was really the key for standard 310 is that there are other standards out there for quality installation of HVAC. There are some other groups pursuing various ways to define and quantify that. And ACA has certainly been one of those groups, but there wasn't anything directed specifically at raters in their day-to-day job, considering their workflow, how many times do they visit a house, the fact that most of them don't have an HVAC license, and so that restricts some of what they can do to equipment. And so this is really a tailor-made standard specifically for this industry, but at the same time, hopefully as procedures that will provide value even for contractors that perform them as well. And Wes, you probably want to add on to that too, because there's definitely some overlap between this standard and what ACA has already done. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that the very important qualifying aspect is that this is intended for raters. ACC developed the quality installation verification protocols. It's been the standard for a number of years, but that really was more oriented toward an HVAC contractor or a professional that had the appropriate licenses and or skill sets to go in and evaluate an HVAC system. This is oriented to raters, for raters. I may have mentioned earlier that energy rating is for the asset. It's an asset rating, but it is all related back to the energy use of that dwelling, that residence. And so Dean is exactly right. This is the only standard that I'm aware of out there that is for raters to evaluate aspects of an HVAC system installation, design and installation. Without going into an extreme level of detail, can you give us an overview of what the rater would be doing when they employ this standard? So this will be somewhat familiar at the front end to partners of the Energy Star program and that it starts off with the design review. So the rater will be collecting standardized design documentation and doing a pretty high level review of that information relative to the home or dwelling to be rated and just essentially making sure that some of the parameters are reflective of that home. So is the condition floor area that's being used in the load calculations, for example, which determines how much heat loss or heat gain you have into a home, is that condition floor area pretty close to what the actual floor area of the rated home is? One would hope so, but that's not something that has traditionally been checked by raters. So it starts off with a design review. The second task is a total duct leakage test, which is also something that current Energy Star partners are doing. And then the last three tasks are related to field verification, and this will be brand new to most raters. So they're checking three parameters of the HVAC system as installed. The first is the blower fan airflow. So what's the total airflow going through the equipment? The second is the blower fan watt draw, which is probably the biggest and most powerful fan in the house that is not measured or assessed today. So that watt draw is determined. And then the last test is a non-invasive refrigerant charge test. And we knew that we didn't want to have raters connecting digital manifolds or manifolds of any type to the actual system. That exposed them to some 
risk and required some licensing. And so this is a non-invasive approach that basically tells them if the charge is in the right ballpark. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Or is it just right? Maybe Wes could answer this because he's got contracting experience here. Any delta in the tools required? I would imagine the duct leakage test check, they've already got that. Design review, that's you using your brain as the tool. But perhaps blower airflow, watt draw, there might be a couple new tools if people are thinking, what's it going to take to get into using this? Good point. And I think that Dean was talking, I need to go back one question real quick and just touch on Title 24, California Title 24. Because out there, I think that there are raters who are doing some similar things. For example, measuring or evaluating refrigerant charge. So I just wanted to touch on that very briefly for our friends out in California. Back to the tools. You mentioned doing duct leakage testing. Uh, They've already got that. They've been doing that. And fortunately, a number of tools that are there, like the manometer and the static pressure probe that come with the kit, can be used to measure airflow through the equipment. If you've got the blower fan table, then I can measure a static pressure on the supply and return, add those up, look at the blower table for that model, and it'll tell me what that airflow is based on the fan speed and maybe an incoming voltage. But it's something that they've got in their kit bag that they can use and doesn't add any extra cost. Measuring watt draw, fan watt draw, that might be one new tool that they have to purchase. And there's a number of tools or methods that you can use to come up with that wattage. And Dean, you may want to take just a moment to talk about the whole sequence of the testing and what's required and what's not as far as the process. Yeah, to fill that out a little bit more, as Wes is suggesting, there are a few different options available for each of these tests. And so we tried to pick the most common procedures for accomplishing these tasks in the field and give the rater some choice because not every home is the same and not every contractor works the same way. Some raters will invest in more expensive equipment that will save them time. Others will use low cost equipment so they can kind of have a low barrier to entry. And so I think there's quite a variety in how much they'll have to invest or how much they choose to invest to do this. And to Wes's point about the sequencing, we set the tasks up in a way that you basically have a waterfall approach where you have to get through one task successfully before proceeding with the next task by and large. There are some exceptions to that, but that's basically how it's structured. And so within each test or task that we've defined, these five tasks, you're picking a procedure and following that, evaluating your results and seeing if you're good enough to move on to the next task. And we can go into more detail about that if you're interested, but that's a basic overview. That's good. Go ahead, Wes, please. Dean, I was going to throw in too that when it comes to the tools, one of the things I think about versus a high dollar or a tool versus a, maybe one that's a little less expensive is the results. And the standard does lay out what you're expected, the minimum requirements for the tool. It must be able to measure X and it must have some tolerance of Y. But one of the things that was built into the standard, much like on the QI5 standard, is a tolerance. So airflow is we're looking for a range. It's not just dead on, but there is some variance accepted between what was measured and what was expected. And if the delta is too great, if the variance is too big, well, that's when we start getting into raising questions or investigating a little bit further. But so I think that with tools, we definitely want accuracy, but we have some built-in error bands, I guess would be a really good term to say, if we're not exactly right on, 
that's not necessarily the end of the world. I think of it this way. If there's no bar yet, you're making the bar before you can actually raise the bar. So <laughs> the bar is going to be Good. kind of fat right now. Yeah. And actually, conceptually, it's a lot like the quality installation rating that readers are already familiar with. And so I think just conceptually, they'll understand what we're trying to do where we have a default of grade three. And so if you don't even assess the system, which is an option, then you're assigned grade three. But if you actually do assess it and compare it to the design, then you're either gonna be at grade three if it's really terrible, but that's typically unlikely, or you're at grade two, which is pretty good, not perfect, but not terrible, or you're at grade one, which is very good or perfect. And so really we're looking at trying to triage equipment into those three different bins. And we think that level of granularity is probably going to be enough to give a very helpful feedback loop that doesn't exist today. Granularity, good word. You did mention one thing, which was the non-invasive charge test. That might be a new one for people. Yeah. Can I toss the ball at you, Dean? <laughs> sure. So one of our working group members is Jim Bergman, and some people might be familiar with him from his work with iManifold or on his MeasureQuick platform. He's someone that has been involved with the HVAC industry for decades as a contractor, as an educator, as an entrepreneur. And he has been using a non-invasive approach for a number of years in the field, which is physics-based and takes properties of the HVAC equipment, namely its uh, efficiency rating and the conditions in the field, so the indoor and outdoor temperature conditions. And from that, approximates how hot or how cold the refrigerant line should be. Understandably, the refrigerant is cycling between the inside and the outside of the house. It's picking up heat in one location and dropping off heat in another location. And you should have a pretty good sense of what the temperature, the target temperature of those lines should be. And so if you know the target, it's as simple as measuring those refrigerant lines and comparing the two. Now, it may not be as quantitative or perhaps entirely as precise as your typical contractor superheat or subcooling test, which is sort of the standard in the industry. But what it will do is give you a pretty good sense of if you're in the right ballpark. I don't want to speak too much for Jim, but I know it's been successful enough in his use that he even has contractors use that as a starting point before they pull out their manifolds and start potentially changing the refrigerant charge by connecting devices. So once you have it set up and commissioned an HVAC system the first time, you can use this non-invasive approach to make sure that things are still in check. And that's what we're repurposing for Raiders in this case. So the, I heard you mention there was target line temperature. So it's some line temperature probes is what would be required in this case. That's right. And some ambient temperature probes. Sure. Exactly. So all conditions that are non-invasive to the system, hence the non-invasive test description. That's correct. Let me thought two thoughts. One is contractors like this because it's unnecessary to go in and reconnect uh, refrigerant lines to measure a pressure which, as Dean mentioned, it's a, a de minimis transfer of refrigerant. It's nothing egregious, but it also prevents any he said, she said between the contractor and a raider. Well, everything was working fine when I left, and now the raider's been there, and oh, my refrigerant charge is all fouled up. And it must be their fault. So it cuts all that out. And number two, it's still contingent on the contractor doing their job. If the contractor doesn't provide that basis, as Dean was talking about, the physical changes in the refrigerant condition is pretty stable at different temperatures. And so if I know what it is on a 70-degree day or an 80-degree day, and then I come back on another 80-degree day, I should see a lot of similarity. Or if there's a deviation, maybe it's warmer. It's 90 degrees outside. 
well, we know that there's going to be a difference in how the refrigerant responds to that temperature as well. So it's still contingent upon the contractor doing their job, doing it right, and it prevents that unnecessary access to the refrigerant system and potentially causing some conflict. We like it for that. Good deal. How about from the training aspect? These are new tasks, not out of bounds from a Raider's capabilities for sure, but they will require some kind of training. Is there any thoughts to that, how that will happen? Anything in your minds? I know that we're trying to lock down the standard as step one so that then we can sort of prepare training content around that. I do expect that the training subcommittee for ResNet will be involved with determining what training the Raider has to go through. And just informally, I've been thinking through that in my own head. It's probably, if it was up to me, it would probably be some combination of classroom instruction and then ideally a field portion that has at least an opportunity for Raiders to run through the different tests on an actual system while someone's looking over them to make sure that they've got the basics worked out and they've got any questions answered. So I do expect there's going to be some supplemental training associated with this, but I don't think it's going to be kind of overly difficult for most Raiders to go through. No, but it'll be an increment, just an increment to their additional skills. Very good. That's right. Yeah. Sounds like a great program. You're moving things upward here, sort of reconnecting. I think one of the phrases you sent me before was reunifying the process of doing HERS rating and earning the Energy Star. Any kind of closing thoughts you want to give us? I'll throw the ball first to Wes to give us sort of a wrap up of the situation. Anything else you want to say? I think I would only add that I think that this standard has helped me think through what it might look like in the future for an HVAC system to be evaluated. And I think we're all looking for something that's objective and useful. And to the extent that that may start with a HERS rater in the field, I know that there are already some systems that can be bolted onto an existing HVAC system that'll provide some feedback that aligns with the measurements and the data that we're looking to collect. And to the extent that moves forward, Dean mentioned a software platform that's collecting HVC-related measurements to the extent that those come online. And maybe the Raiders still maybe a pass-through, but the contractor collects the information objectively through a tool or an app and then sends that on to the Raider. And it's very simple. Hey, here's a bunch of green lights. So it's past airflow, refrigerant charge, et cetera, et cetera. But it's that first step in the incremental process toward rewarding contractors are doing good work. And I think that's what we all wanted to see. And so looking forward to what's next. Dean, some closing thoughts from you? Sure. I think I'll reiterate and expand on your point about unification. So when we added these requirements for HVAC in 2011 to the Energy Star program, it was a big incremental set of requirements relative to a HERS rating. And that allowed people who were overwhelmed by it or burdened by it to ignore it altogether if they didn't do Energy Star anymore and just did a HERS rating. And this will be a major step towards reintegrating those requirements into the standard that raters are used to operating off of. And it will give them an opportunity to pursue quality HVAC, even if they don't like the Energy Star program, but just want to focus on these things. They can do that for the first time. For our partners, it will become more seamless with the HERS rating. So that's great. And on top of it, something that we have never had, even back in 2011 or in 2018, is the ability to earn HERS points for it. So that will really, I think, help provide an important carrot for moving the market forward. So we're quite excited about this. Very good. And kudos to you all for uh, creating the working group 
that has broad uh, reaches into the industry and also taking the extra step of the beta test, if you will, the informal field test in order to debug it and to improve and take lessons learned from the field and the industry together. Just really excited to see more people using this, doing better work, and probably there'll be uses for it. I mean, it's a, a public standard, I guess. Uses for it uh, outside of the whole rating community is just a good thing. It's based on physics, like you said, right? Yep. That's our hope. Okay. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on today and discussing this topic. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. And we want to invite our listeners to subscribe to the ResTalk podcast if you haven't already, so you can be alerted to the latest edition, the latest episode that comes out. We're doing it pretty regularly, twice a month now. So you can look for them on Mondays, twice a month. I want to thank you again, Wes and Dean, for coming on board and talking to our public here, our ears in the ResTalk community. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening to this episode where we spoke with Wes and Dean about the ANSI ResNet 301 standard. Now, this is some late-breaking information again, and if you want to keep up with this and find out as soon as the podcast launches, as soon as they're produced and launched, you'll want to type in ResTalk into the search bar in your favorite podcast app so that you'll be able to subscribe and receive immediate updates and have them loaded into your device as soon as they're available. Now, if you're a consumer and want to learn more about the benefits of home energy rating, go on over to resnet.us. You'll see a consumer section there. Now, if you're a pro, there's also the professional section there. And if you look hard enough, you can actually find a draft of the 301 standard there on the ResNet site. It's being provided there in a redline version to find out more about what this standard means for you. I wanted to give you a closing thought for the day, and this is a quote by Paul Wellstone. We all do better when we all do better. Hope you have a better time out there in the field. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet what you heard here and would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet, R-E-S-N-E-T U-S. Again, if you have not subscribed, please consider doing so. And as always, we thank you for listening to ResTalk. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.